boy, it's good to see you and um, good to see our families here. And, you know, I didn't do this, and I would like to do before we get started. If you are a family of one of our graduates that's here today, would you stand up? We want to recognize you because you really played a big part in this whole process. So if you're a family member, if you if you would stand up today, good. Look at these families. Uh, loved you. You guys, y'all, that's great. That's good. Thank you. Now, I guess you wondered, and I'm going to talk to our graduates today and talk to all of you, but I guess you wonder why we would talk about this miracle today, the feeding of 5,000, as your graduation sermon. And uh, it's because, for one thing, we're preaching through the book of John, and it's next. So that's one reason. <laughs> but I will tell you, I will tell you that this, this is a powerful lesson for you to learn to go to God. When you need something, you're, you're, you're going to be exposed to all kinds of things and you're going to hear some really smart people, far smarter than any of us here. And you're, you're going to pass in front of folks that will tell you all kinds of great stuff that you need to know. But you've got to remember that you've met the Lord of the universe here in your personal faith and in your walk with him as you've grown up. And you have Christ inside of you. So there's no greater wisdom that you can gain in this world than you have right here. And I, I want to encourage you and plead with you and urge you. Because there's going to be days and nights when you're going to think, you know, God's a long way from this place. But I will tell you, he is not. And we see a lesson today where people repeatedly saw God's power and they wouldn't go to him. Because they thought their head, it just didn't make good sense. And so I want to encourage you and plead with you. And hear this story. This is a simple story. But but hear this and know that this is how God works. He's always involved. So I'm going to read this parable to you, or this story. You know, uh, we put in our little uh, thing that we play before the messages to introduce you to the book of John, to remind you about it. But to tell you that this is the fourth of seven strategic miracles or signs in John's gospel. Now, John doesn't cover the, the great spectrum of miracles that you'll find in the other in the other gospels. But he tells seven. And what he is showcasing to teach us that these signs, these were signs, these weren't the end of themselves. You know, a lot of people say, well, what did Jesus do? He did miracles. No, Jesus did miracles to show who he was. And so these signs point us to Jesus. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to, I told AJ I would finish up on time, maybe even a little bit early. So we'll see how that goes. But we'll do it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 6. Begin with the first verse. John 6, first verse. The fourth sign, feeding the 5,000. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And a huge crowd was following him because they saw that the signs that he was performing on the sick. And so Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. And therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. 
And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And then Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves. And after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, Collect the leftovers, so there is nothing wasted. So they collected and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again into the mountains by himself. Father, speak to your word through a most unworthy servant. We thank you that you've given us this and given us your power. Lord, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I want you to look at this wonderful little story. Uh, you know, in John's gospel, this is a premier miracle of the whole gospel accounts. This miracle is in all four of the gospels. And it's a little bit different. If you read it and you say, well, Jim, what does it mean if they're all different? If, but, but it, what it means to me and what it means to scholars that study the scriptures carefully is that there are details about this miracle in John's gospel that are a little bit different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if I picked four of you and told you we made a story up together and I said, I want you to write it down, you would all probably want to write down the details as much as you could the way that I told it. And the way that we said it so that everybody would say, see, there are four identical stories here. We all we all believe this. But the Gospels are a little different. You see, God inspired each of those men to write with their own personalities and with their own experience and with their own life to write what they had seen. And so when they wrote it down, Matthew, Mark and Luke emphasized one thing. And John emphasized something else. He kind of had a different perspective. You see, John was maybe 90 years old when he wrote this gospel. He spent a life of ministry. He had served God for generations. He had founded a church. He'd been persecuted. He had seen all the apostles martyred before him. He was the last of them. He was writing his gospel. And so John keys on something that nobody else keyed on. And he said it right here. He said it in in chapter 6. He said... So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. The other gospels said that they were all wore out from a day of preaching that Jesus had brought them up on the mountain and they were preaching and teaching. But John, John said, listen, there was this big crowd because everybody believed in Jesus and, and Jesus took us all up a mountain and sat us down. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to do that? I mean, I would love to have been there that day. But see, you can do that. And I want to encourage you, go sit down with him. Get in into your word and get in your quiet place, in your place where there's no distraction and there's no body barging in and there's no interruption. And sit down with your Lord. And he desired that. That's what he wanted with these men. Is he wanted to sit down with them and teach them before anything else happened. But life happened and Jesus was going to be a savior Solving real problems. 
See, there was a big crowd. They knew who he was. They had seen him perform miracles. And the more miracles he performed, the more people came after him. And the crowds were everywhere. So he crossed to be alone with his disciples. And he looked. And there are all these people. And so now we have the problem. And the problem is stated pretty well. Uh, in, in verse 5, therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he looked to Philip. Philip, one of the apostles. Hi. Wouldn't you like to be Philip? He looks to Philip. He says, Philip, all those guys are coming up the, the mountain. What, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I've, I've seen those problems before and... Um, Phil, you'll appreciate this. You know, in the Army, it seems like you would always pick the youngest, most junior officer and the most overwhelming problem. And you say, Lieutenant, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) And everybody knew that he didn't have a clue what we were going to do about it. (laughs) But Philip said, he said, where are we going to buy bread so that these people can eat? Where, Where does the food come from for this? And he said... This to test them because Jesus already knew the answer. You see, he wasn't asking a question. It's a rhetorical question. He knew the answer to it. He knew where it was coming from. He just, he didn't know that they even thought it was a question. The other gospels said some interesting things. They said, well, just send them away. We, we, we didn't sign up for a meal. They just come here to teach class. They can go home on their own. That was kind of the example that the disciples said in the first one. But Jesus said, no, what are they going to eat? And so now we get into the solution. That's the problem. What are we going to eat? Where, where, where are we going to go with this? They may not die if they didn't have enough to eat, but they might lose all the benefit of whatever Jesus would say. So we get to the second part, and that's the solution. The scholars tell us that the Bible says there were 5,000 people, 5,000 men specifically, so we probably know there were seven or 8,000 people there. That's a lot of people. That's, well, it's a, it's a third of the, I guess a half of the Joel Coliseum filled up. It's, it's, um, what, five walnut coves. <laughs> it's, it's a big place. It's a lot of people. That's, that's a big order. And there's Philip and he, and Philip, um, I mean, uh, yeah, Philip comes back and he says, Lord, 200 denarii. In other words, he said, if we worked, if all 12 of us worked 200 days, we couldn't make enough money to feed these people just a little bit. We couldn't give them just a morsel or so. We, we would have to work. So that's the first idea. That was, that was a solution that came up. And then I told you that the disciples in the other gospels said, just get rid of them, send them home, let them eat on their own. It's not our responsibility. They said that. The the third solution came from Andrew. And every time we see Andrew in the New Testament, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He brought the other disciples. He brought, he brought Peter to Jesus in John chapter one. And here he brings a little boy, he shows up with a little boy here. And he says, uh, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. So what are they for so many? If you write in your Bible, you ought to underline that part in your Bible. For what are they for so many? Because they're everything. You, you see, Jesus didn't need a whole lot, did he? I mean, he just needed something. He didn't really need the fish, but that was a good start. 
So that was, that was the solution. And so Jesus then begins the process of the miracle. He says, first of all, have the people all sit down. And of course they sat down. There was plenty of grass in the place, so they sat there. The men numbered about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and he did something really unusual. He took those five loaves of bread and they would not be any bigger than a loaf of bread. I could have brought a loaf of bread today and I've done this before and everybody take off a little piece of bread and we could eat that, but... I thought, we don't need to do all that. Y'all got it, what a loaf of bread is. I mean, it fit right here in my hand. Five of those, 5,000 people. And and two little fish, and I'm not talking about the tuna fish, but I'm talking about two little fish that they caught out of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it's enough for a little boy to have lunch. That's what it was. And Jesus did the most remarkable thing the Bible tells us is he gave thanks. Can you believe that? He did the same thing with Lazarus. We raised Lazarus. He, he gave thanks. Before he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he thanked God for what he was going to do. And right here, he gave thanks. Thanks for what? For five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people? Well, I mean, that's not even, that's not enough for one little boy. That's what that is. And the gospel writers don't go into a lot of detail then. But verse 11 is the key to this miracle. Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish as much as they wanted. I, w- I want you to listen very carefully to what he did. After he gave thanks, he started passing out bread and fish to 5,000 people. Jesus did that. Now the other gospels say that he gave it to the disciples and they passed it out. But John's very careful to tell us that Jesus is the one that passed it out. And he passed it out. Enough for everybody. And and the Bible is very clear to tell us as much as they wanted. Now, I don't know about you. Don't don't you always eat a little more when the food's free? <laughs> I mean, like if you go to a church thing in here, don't we? If you go home and eat, it, you eat a little bit more. AJ and I may be the only ones, but I think we do. I mean, we probably eat a little more in here than we would if I went home and had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We probably do that. And these folks ate their fill, all they wanted, until they were full. But the miracle wasn't finished. See, you see, the Bible is not through. Uh, I love, I love Jesus now. The last thing that he said is he gave thanks, and then he said to them in verse 12, when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers, make sure there's nothing wasted. The leftovers, from five loaves of bread and two fish for 5,000 people, there's leftovers. And they're very careful to tell us. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who eat. That's a lot of leftovers. That's a big deal. That's a pretty unthinkable amount of food. It, there was no thunder or lightning, no Bright lights, no mighty voice from heaven. Jesus gave thanks and he distributed the bread to 5,000 people and the fish and they ate all they wanted and collected 12 baskets of leftovers. Barley bread. I didn't know this. Barley was the cheapest of all the bread. And the Mishnah, which was the Jewish instruction of the rabbis, there was an ancient writing about an offering that a woman would commit, bring if she committed adultery. She had to bring a bread offering. And the Mishnah said it had to be barley, the food of the beast. 
For the woman's sin was the sin of a beast. Barley is the bread of poor people. So Jesus, why barley? Well, that's all they had. That's what the little boy brought. But it shows the disciples that no matter what they had, even if it was almost nothing, it was plenty for God. I want you to remember that. Regardless of what you have, even if you have nothing, little is a lot when God's in it. Listen, church, little is a lot when God's in it. You got to know that. You got to learn that. And Jesus wanted to teach that lesson to his disciples that day. You see, they had already seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him, the, the man that had been sick for generations, healed his paralytic body. They'd seen that. And now they saw this. They were probably beginning to get the idea that Jesus would be satisfactory for whatever they meant. But you know, they didn't get it. Over in Mark's gospel, this is amazing to me, they didn't get it. Because in Mark's gospel, in chapter 6, we have uh, the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And then over in chapter 8, we have another miraculous feeding. And they call that the feeding of 4,000. And in that situation, listen to what it said. It said, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with Jesus, demanding him a sign from heaven to test him. He had just turned water, I mean, just turned bread into 5,000 and then bread into for 4,000. And Jesus says, why does this generation demand a sign? No sign is going to be given to you. And he says, why are you discussing that you don't have any bread? Do you not yet understand or comprehend? Is your heart hardened? Do your eyes, do you have eyes and don't see? Do you have ears and don't hear? And do you not remember when I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of bread did you collect? Twelve, they said. And when I broke seven loaves for 4,000, how many baskets did you collect? And he said, seven. And he says, and you don't understand yet. And so, for us, we don't understand yet sometimes, do we? You see, I think sometimes it's harder for us to give God our weaknesses than it is to give God our strengths. You know, if I were to tell you, and it's not true, but if I were to tell you that I'm a great speaker and a you know great preacher and all those things, then I'm going to give that to God. I've heard preachers say that, that they've given all their talent to God, and they've given all their ability to God, and they've given... And boy, it sounds good because I look up there and they're preaching to 10,000 people and they've got this beautiful delivery and this beautiful sermon and everything. Boy, that's a real gift to God. But what if you don't have much to give God? What, what if you, what if you just don't have a lot of talent or you don't have a lot of ability or you don't have a lot of confidence or you don't, you don't have a lot of experience and you say, I'm just going to give God whatever I have because if I give God a little bit, God can take that and make a lot out of it. And that's a lesson that you guys need to really learn and take to heart. Because you're going to run up against people. Yeah, I bet you're going to run against people who are smarter than you are. Because you all are really smart. And, and you've really done well. But you're going to run into somebody smarter. There's always somebody smarter than you are. There's always somebody run a little faster. If you're an athlete, there's always somebody a little bit better than you are. There's all... You're, you're gonna to have to face that all your life. When you get out into the world, there's gonna be somebody that makes a little bit more money. There's gonna be somebody that's a little more successful. There's, but sometimes you gotta say, listen, this is all I got and I'm gonna give this to God. And that's enough. And He can take that and do something with it that we never, ever imagined.
So God says, give us whatever we have, including our weaknesses. And when you're in a difficult situation and you don't have an answer for it and you don't know what you're going to do, you have to realize that God wants to help you. That he wants to be involved in it. Jesus is ministering to these people. He sat down on a hillside. It's not like he saw the people and he ran away. He saw the people and said, bring them on up here. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at this story. This always touches my heart because but here's the savior of mankind. He's the God of the universe. We're studying in Revelation. One day he'll return to judge the world. And here he sat down in the midst of these people. Their disciples could care less that they didn't have enough to eat. But Jesus was concerned that they had enough to eat. He, he wanted to meet their physical need. He, he met their spiritual need, but he wanted to feet, meet their spiritual need also. I want you to know that about, about God. I want you to know that he's, he's out in the world. He's come with his spirit. He lives here. He's in your heart. He's, he's in your church. You can't ever go anywhere without him. The, the book prophet Isaiah says this about him. In Isaiah 30 verse 18 it says, The Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. Happy are those who wait patiently on him. So that's part of what we have to do is we have to wait patiently on him. Do, you, do you, all of you, do you guys know God's big enough for whatever problem you have? He is. Elizabeth Elliot says... He says, you, you just need a correct concept of God. She writes, it, it's the only thing that you have to offer. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer God your broken heart. If that's all you have. In a time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been a great strength for me. That's what Elizabeth Elliot says. She had nothing but grief in her life. And so she said, God, I'll just give you my grief. Realizing nothing I have, nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ. Simply give it to him as a little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fishes. And so this grief, this loss, this suffering, this pain, whatever it is at that moment... Is God's means of testing my faith. Because see, you know, in that time, in that time of loss or grief or down when you're at the very bottom and you don't know what to do, God is saying, you have a choice. You can choose me or you can choose some other way. The Philip, he says, well, Lord, we're going to have to get out here and work 200 days for that stuff. And you're going to say, I don't have any way to solve this problem I have. And what God says, come to him and bring the problem to him. Let him deal with it. Let him handle it. Let him, I'm not telling you he's going to turn 5,000 or five loaves into bread for 5,000, but he'll, he will meet your need in his way. The book of Romans says it a little bit different. Romans 8, 26. It says in the same way the spirit joins to help in our weakness. You know, I hear on graduation, I'm talking about our weakness because I think that a lot of times in this world, it's not how well you deal with success. It's how you deal with the trouble. Paul writes, the Spirit of God joins and help us in our weakness. Because we don't know what we ought to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes. So, so you know, in this situation, it, Paul's writing about a situation where the person doesn't even know what to ask for. They're in such, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in such a desperate spot that you don't even know what to ask for? You don't even know what the solution would be. You don't even know what to pray for. And Paul says, that's fine. Because the Spirit intercedes for us it it steps in the middle isn't that amazing and the spirit of god asked god what we need how about that 
Now that's power. That's something you need to take to college. That's something you need to take to graduate school. That's something you need to take everywhere. But I'm not through. One more point. I got, I want to finish it. There was a misunderstanding in this whole passage of scripture. Verses 14 and 15. If you get there and you, you know, we don't, we don't always get there. We always get to the miracle. And so there's probably somebody thinking right now, well, I'm, I'm going to ask Jesus to turn this $5 into $5 million. We'll see how that works. Do you believe that'll happen? There's a misunderstanding here. And it's in verse 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, the purpose for these miracles is to point to the power of God. It's not to miracles. It's not purpose of miracles was to show that he was God. Now these people were beginning to get it and they thought, I'm going to follow after this guy because he healed this person and he turned this bread over here into bread for 5,000 and he turned this water over here into wine. Let's follow after him because I've got something that he can do for me. i got something that he can turn for me and fix. I've got, I've got this problem with my back or I've got this problem with my head or I've got this problem with my knee and he'll fix it. I mean, he'll make it brand new for me. So everybody was following Jesus. Everybody went after him. Everybody wanted a part of Jesus. But the purpose of the miracle and the purpose of this was not to do stuff for people. But was to show him the Christ. To show them the Christ. You know, there's people today that say they have great powers of healing. There are preachers that preach that they can heal folks, that their prayers are a little bit better, their faith's a little more superior. There are ideas that they can heal people. And the television programs are filled up with them at night. And they tell you, if you pay $25, they'll send you a little cloth that they have apparently prayed over. And if you pray over this, God will give you, he wants to give you whatever he wants, whatever you want. And see, God, God to these folks and to these preachers and to their audience is like a genie. And you just kind of rub the bottle and you get something from God. And, and you know, if I, if I could call a crowd today and say, well, I've got five loaves and two little fishes and I'm, I'm going to meet out here in the parking lot. I have to do it in the parking lot because there'd be too many people to come for the church in it. But I'm going to turn that in and feed 5,000 people. We'd have people out here. And if I told everybody that was here, okay, I, I, I'm going to do that. But also if, if I pray for your car, if your car's broken, your car will get fixed. If I pray for, if, if, uh, if your refrigerator's not working, I pray for your refrigerator, it'll, it'll work. Or if somebody dies, if I pray for you, you're going to raise up and walk away. I mean, people, they love that stuff. They, they'll follow after you all day long with that. But that's not what Jesus is doing. They, these folks miss the real blessing. You see, the real blessing is Jesus. That's the miracle. Because if I could feed you and do the five loaves and the two fishes and feed 5,000 people, by tonight we'd be hungry again, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd have to start digging into the 12 baskets that we had left over because we already would be hungry. If I fixed your car next month, your car would get broken again. If our fixed your refrigerator, maybe in a year it would be broken again. Then you'd have to get your refrigerator fixed. Poor Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead. 
I always think about Lazarus. We, we talked about him downstairs and I always think about Lazarus. It was, Jesus made an example of his power over death, but Lazarus had been snatched from heaven and brought back to this world. Can you imagine that? He's probably like, Lord, I thought we were friends. Why did you do this? And so Lazarus came back to earth and you know what? We don't see it in the Bible, but Lazarus died again, didn't he? Because he's not alive. You can't go to Bethlehem and find him. So those miracles, these things that we do in the flesh, they're all just temporary. They go away. But the purpose for the miracle, the purpose for this in John's gospel, is to point us to Jesus. It's to point us to the Savior. To a Savior who will die for us, for our sins. Who, who said... That he came down from heaven, exchanged the glory of heaven for the humility of being a little baby. To show us how much he loved us and cared for us. And he came to earth and he lived as a man, a very humble man, a man that was not noticeable. Uh, in fact, Isaiah said that he was not attractive. He didn't have the beautiful blue eyes and flowing brown hair that the movies have. He was a Jewish man, rough beard, wasn't attractive wasn't notable, came to earth to live like one of us, to show us how much God loved us. And so he went to the cross for us, for our sins. And so all of those miracles are to say, that guy is worthy of what he did. He has the power to back it up. Because he went to the cross, they killed him just like they did thousands of others in Rome. But this fella came back from the dead, resurrected from the dead, Ascended into heaven and tells us that if we believe him and trust in him, then he'll do an eternal work for us. He'll wash away our sins. He'll justify us, make us right before God. He'll give us his power. He'll give us his guidance and his leadership day to day. If we just trust him. But so many people today, they trade that, who Jesus is, for some cheap, something that will last for a season. But the real blessing is Christ himself. I pray that when you leave this place today, that you know Christ personally. I think you do. You've been taught and exposed and prayed with and you've been loved here. And I hope that's what we do. But I hope that in your heart is Christ. That when you go out into the world, you know that whatever happens to you, whether you make an A or you make an F, whether you achieve your goals or whether you come home the first semester, whether you are on top of your profession or you never even have a profession, that you know Christ came and saved your life from your sins, that you have eternal life, that you are victorious over anything that life offers. That is the miracle of Christ. And I hope you have it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can love you for who you are and for what you've done. And God, let us never be like those crowds that went after something flashy and missed the real Christ. Let us see who you are and love us and care for us who died for us. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you'll move in their heart and that you'll use them. Come to this place and know your, your salvation. 
We thank you for Christ and what he did. I pray for these young people and for their families. And God, I pray you fill up their life with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.